Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transatlanticist at the America Centrum in Hamburg. As always, I am your host, Andrew Sola. Joining me today is our EU expert, Gunter Donner. Welcome to our first podcast for 2021, Gunter. Hello. I hope you had a nice holiday period. I did indeed. Very good. So we had three topics to discuss today, but actually we had to call an audible, as one says in American football, right before this recording. Because last night here in Germany and around the world, of course, non-Americans watched with horror and disgust as a bunch of rioters entered the Capitol building to disrupt the Electoral College voting process. Unfortunately, I believe one person was shot and killed and the news is still coming in. So although we were going to discuss matters not related to the U.S. election, and uh, the transition from the Trump presidency to the Biden presidency, we thought we would start there today. But actually, we'll use that circumstance to discuss arguably the most important European election coming up in 2021, which is the election of the German Bundestag, mm -hmm. as well as the new German chancellor, because, of course, Angela Merkel will be retiring after... 12 years? 16? 15. 15 years as chancellor. Oh, 16, almost. So, right. So, we'll be discussing the September elections in Germany, um, but we also want to discuss the Brexit agreement and, of course, something that I don't think many of you might have heard about, um, and it's not really a topic that I even know about, and this is the investment deal that the EU and China made. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Gunter believes this is an extremely important topic, and I'm really actually looking forward to grasping what's going on with this. So those will be our topics for today. So, Gunter, what do you think about the events that happened in Washington, D.C. last night? Well, I got a phone call. I switched on CNN because there is no, of course, no continuous live uh, um, reporting from by a German channel. Uh, this was shocking. This was shocking indeed. Though I, I have to say that in principle, I was prepared after a month of, of propaganda of completely, un, uh, completely unsubstantiated claims by the Trump circles uh, to have been deprived from a well-deserved landslide victory by rigging or whatever uh, illegal machinations the, the, the adversity may have, may have performed, nothing of this had ever been substantiated, be that in public or be that in court. So this was unfounded, but it created a myth. And the myth is always dangerous and it's the, the hotbed for manipulation. So the myth of the Trump victory stolen from him and his followers continued and 
uh, was gained some kind of a self-propelling uh, um, driving force. So I expected violence to occur, especially given the fact that many of the radical Trump supporters are quite close to the extreme right, heavily armed as they are in America. Uh, and probably quite well organized, I don't know, but I, I conjecture. So, but that they managed to storm the Capitol during a session, both chambers involved. Uh, this to me came as a great shock, not so much that, let me call it bluntly, some riffraff, uh, armed probably, entered a building to, 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 to cause mayhem and destruction, but that a country as preoccupied with public safety, with uh, uh, law and order, permitted them to do so. It was possible for them to enter the building. Uh, they not just tried it, they succeeded. And that to me came as a shock, as did the fact that they stayed there for quite a while. A long time, indeed. So, you, used, you used a phrase uh, that I just want to think about a little bit more. You, you used the phrase radical Trump supporters, which I, implies that there are some Trump supporters that are not radical. Mm -hmm. Before yesterday, I might have accepted a distinction in the types of Trump supporters, that there are radical ones and non-radical ones. Can we even refer to any Trump supporter anymore as not being a radical? Radical defined as someone who will go to extreme lengths, namely break the law, in order to express their support for Trump. So are there only now radical Trump supporters? I, I hope we still can, given the fact that this gentleman, uh, no, he isn't a gentleman to my, to my reading, but this guy received more than 70 million votes in your country. Uh, there have to be decent people, though misled, probably manipulated, voting for him, believing in certain of his many phrases and, and uh, accusations. There have to be quite a substantial number of such people who, for whatever reason, are probably quite far away from the personality of Donald Trump, may have believed and may still believe that parts of what he did merits their vote. Uh, and uh, it will be the great task of the um, Republican Party, to my understanding of political science, if they wish to continue, because they are, uh, they are uh, highly endangered to break apart, to sort out the various strands of support Trump could reach out to, be those normal democratic very conservative people they have a right to be very conservative but they do not have a right to storm parliament during a session and just because their idol had instigated them to believe in completely unfounded lies about the election Right, so um, I would accept the argument that 70 million American voters uh, had legitimate reasons for supporting Trump during the election and indeed voted for him. Again, I'm curious that now, after what we saw last night, can we really identify 
anyone remaining who supports Trump as not being a radical after what we saw last night. Well, I, I think we, I, I agree to this. This was a a watershed event, or it could have been a should have been a watershed event for America and for the Republican Party in particular. Because from now on, and his ridiculous reaction to what was going on, which was not legitimate protest, but revolution, vandalism, hooliganism, or revolt. It was trespassing the law and, and, and in a quite severe form. And uh, uh, th this wasn't a trifle. This wasn't a legitimate form of protest. So from now on, people still clinging to the idea that Trump is the right guy to, to steer this country into the future, they may well have to prove that they are not part of this radical riffraff. Uh, whether or not the radical riffraff is political is a, is a different story. We have that in British football stadiums. Uh, I don't think they are very political. They are just after violence. And, of course, a myth once created helps them to unite so uh, that what puts this movement away from or sets it apart from classical forms of fascist tyrannies in the offing, as we know Mussolini's march to Rome or the Hitler SR during the Weimar Republic. That is a different story. Those were uniformed, disciplined, and they were acting upon command. And all the crimes, they were, they were ordered to do them like soldiers. Uh, here we have um, manipulated members of the public who, for whatever reason, in whose interest whatsoever, because it's not even clear that this occurs in the interest of the, definitely not of the Republican Party, it's done bottomless harm to the Republican Party for, for years to come, probably dragging it towards its breaking point. It will call for and make absolutely inevitable uh, a sorting out of ideologically uh, uh, tolerable degrees of protest and of support within this party's constituents and voters, uh, contrary to we do what we like, the, the, the main fact is that Trump stays in power. And it puts definitely, it puts Trump out of further glory. And that, to me, comes as a relief. My nightmare was that after a rather small victory of the Democratic Party, having their own problems, and we might one day today or at another occasion discuss about this, because they have an extreme left wing, which is also not uh, without problems for the Biden administration. But... The things we, are, we've, we watched yesterday, or we had to watch yesterday, now it's the watershed for the Republicans. Will they support the rule of law they have preached, or they have been preaching for decades? Or do they use it when it's good for them, in inverted commas, and they laugh about it as soon as doing the other thing they may take more benefit from? The question is, Will the Republican Party be the Republican Party, mm -hmm. or will it be the party of Trump? And indeed, one of the signs that I saw last night was interesting. It said, Trump is the party. So that was an interesting sign from a protester. 
essentially claiming the Republican Party for Trump. Let's actually use this opportunity to transition to democratic elections mm -hmm. in Germany. But, but before we do that, I do want to make a final point that democracies and democratic governments can only thrive if there is some virtue in the political leadership. Indeed. Without people deciding individually to be virtuous, without powerful politicians deciding to be virtuous, then democracy becomes a meaningless word. Mm -hmm. And so I just like to give some little bits of respect to people like Mitt Romney, who uh, seems to be very much a man of virtue and ha is one Republican who for a long time has forcefully criticized Trump's behaviors. But let's move to another election, and I hope it is huh. less wild and crazy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, and less spectacular in the sense of Hollywood spectacle as the United States elections. You know, shouldn't elections be boring, I guess is the question. Well, well will the German election be boring, Gunther? Uh, it, it, it probably won't contain dramatic surprises. And I let me add, as a, as a voter and as a German uh, and living here, uh, I'm quite thankful for this uh, because we are amidst a horrible crisis that's been pushed aside a bit by these dramatic events, by the US election. Uh, to me, the, uh, the failure of Trump to, to actually master the enormous resources of the US for better handling of the corona crisis with the start of, of, a, of a loss of reality. We, we still are at the onset. Now we are probably making headway as far as the vaccine is concerned. This will, in the mid and long term, help considerably. But the economic repercussions, devastating as they are, the enormous debt load, the, the state, even our state here in Germany, uh, uh, had to take up in order to, to stop the uh, economy and many individual household economies from completely collapsing, uh, needs to be addressed. Right. So, so going indeed into that point mm -hmm. of the coronavirus and the economy and the elections in Germany in September, how do you think the key parties will maneuver themselves on these issues mm -hmm. we have uh, well we of course we have polls uh, as you have do and our polls have been unbelievably stable these polls show that the uh, so-called conservative party which isn't conservative by neither british nor <laughs> let alone american standards it's a middle-of-the-road party, the CDU. This is Merkel's party. This is Merkel's party. Is It's as middle-of-the-road as you can be. And this is, in fact, one has to explain for foreigners, it's a, it's two two parties. It, this the Merkel party, CDU, and the Bavarian uh, sister party, CSU, uh, under the lead of the Bavarian prime minister, Herr Söder. And um, who is probably about to play a very important role in the next election. So the polls show that the CDU, during the years of crisis, 
and now the pandemic crisis and the one before again uh, managed to regain strength. They are around about 35-36% of the electorate, which is not enough to govern on their own, but gives them puts them far ahead of all the other parties. The next strong party will be, and that is a, a premier, that is uh, quite, quite, quite new. Traditionally, it was the Social Democrats, but they have lost momentum, they have lost strategies, they have lost uh, personnel, they, they, they haven't re recovered. Um, it's, it's the Green Party, the environmentalists. The environmentalists have already started their rise to, to influence as an opposition party, with the exception of a few lender governments where they are part of a coalition. About what percentage does the Green Party pull at now? Uh, around about 20, a bit less probably. So what you're saying is you would predict now that we will see a coalition, CDU-CSU, so well, conservative and green government. Indeed. We now have one of the CDU-CSU and the Social Democrats. The Social Democrats are around about 15 to 16%. They won't move much. There is nothing... Uh, to my reading, what makes them uh, attractive for voters more than they have that they can muster now. Uh, the Greens, on the other hand, stand for something new. They have never been part of a, of a, <laughs> let alone a, a conservative coalition. They they were a junior partner of a socialist co coalition around the year two thousand. It started. But the idea that they might, uh, be, uh, their idea of a, a, a left coalition, green, extreme left, and social democrats um, uh, will come to a premature end because all three together hardly muster much more than the C does the CDU CSU. Uh, that the SPD has lost so much and they won't won't win anything. Um, the Liberal Party, which is more. Uh, of, a, of a free market enterprise, so to speak, once uh, sought after candidate for coalition with the CDU has completely lost momentum. One one may regret the idea, but they still have they are out of power. They are, they, are, they have no public function at the federal level. About what percentage do the five and five, five is the threshold. If mm -hmm. you drop below five, you are out of the parliament. And that will be their main, their main obstacle to overcome. Will they manage to, to enter the, the, the next Bundestag? So as a coalition partner, they are completely without any interest because a party with five point whatever percent brings you a few members of parliament, but that never, never, uh, it's never enough for, for, for to form a government. So I think it's either the possibility they continue a CDU-CSU plus SPD government or the CDU-CSU goes with the Greens. To me, the, the second is the only credible alternative. Okay, so we're predicting a, a Green and Conservative coalition yeah. government, and of course we will have a new chancellor, and that would be a member of either the uh, CDU or its Bavarian sister party. Indeed. And I, th I think this is the point that I want to address now. Merkel, I would argue, has quite a good reputation in Europe. Uh, not perfect, but people sort of trust her in a certain way. She's been a leader for so long. 
Um, she has she is seen to have a calming and steady hand, and certainly even o- over the last four years, many around the world view her as being the the stalwart defender of the European Union and Western democratic values. So my question is, in the future, who will be the standard bearer for Europe and Western democracies once its leader, Chancellor Merkel, retires? Well, uh, it stands to reason that, and I know this from my many years in Brussels and uh, my contacts to other European countries, the reputation of Merkel as a German politician, as a as an individual, she has never had a single personal, not the shadow of a personal scandal. She's never even been reproached with anything during an office of almost 16 years. Uh, that is that is really remarkable. I mean, she is the epitome of a trustworthy politician. She is a, is a great dip- diplomatist, one has to say, both inside the country and even more so at European or international level. She is non-ideological, which is probably the, the, one of the, 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 the keys to her success. She has no ideological agenda to follow. She administers. For, for, for some, this, at part, at, at, sometimes it appears to be boring. But uh, uh, being boring in politics uh, may be the better alternative to what you saw last, yesterday in your capital. So she is, of course, with her standing, her experience, her prestige, her renomé, she cannot be replaced from one day to the other. But a new start is is of the essence. I mean, she is uh, almost in the end of the 60s and she has a right to retire after 16 years of such an office. I think uh, um, the CDU has two decisions to make. Now they are looking for a party boss. The election of the party boss had to be adjourned due to the corona thing because it's a massive get-together of delegates and all this was, of course, ruled out. Uh, uh, three candidates, they have to be CDU members, are there. I could give you the names. It's Hamertz, who n- no longer has. A, he's an old adversary of, of, of Merkel's, then left politics for a successful business career and now wishes to come back, has no political office and hasn't had any political office for, for more than a decade. Now then there is her, her Laschet, who is the prime minister of the biggest state we have, the biggest Bundesland, North Rhine-Westphalia. Um, a locally quite uh, well-connected politician of a very local uh, Rhineland uh, design. And the third is probably, to me, the most interesting. It's um, Herr Norbert Röttgen. Herr Röttgen is the, uh, the, the spokesperson of the um, External Relations Committee of our Parliament. A very, very uh, intellectual, well-informed and uh, unideological politician who has never uh, been reaching out for higher office. He's member of Parliament and, as such, has been very active. He is uh, very informed about international relations, of course, that comes with this with this office. And he is, uh, uh, seems to be a quite a, 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 neutral, a, a neutral and an ideological character. The thing is, to me, 
none of these three could make a chancellor. But the only one who knows it, and who probably doesn't even want to become chancellor, is Herr Röttgen. Uh, the others would, Merz, of course, wants to become chancellor, not party boss of a party he turned away from in 2000, in the early 2000s. Right. So, so going back to my question, um, my fear is that Europe and Germany will be cast adrift without the, the steady hand of Chancellor Merkel. So, so is there a threat that Europe in general, and Germany specifically, will be rudderless and just drift along in the direction it's been going? Or do you see strong leadership coming from somewhere? And if not through the new chancellor, then maybe through a different leader in Europe, like Herr Macron. Um, of course. If Germany yeah. fails to take up her, her role, France will gladly be there to do it. But Europe has, in history, Europe has only moved forward when France and Germany were at least pulling uh, into the same direction. Again, my, my reading, my, my uh, understanding is that Hazoda, in office as a Bavarian prime minister, has uh, shown a great talent for management, for political management, very refined and very clever even admitting errors, uh, a thing absolutely normal during an unprecedented event like the pandemic. Uh, and the politician who never, uh, who never uh, concedes errors is dreadful, unbearable, because error is normal in uncharted territories. I think with a clever coalition, of the Greens are very pro-European, but also a Tending, leaning a bit towards a radicalization uh, and a monothematic approach, namely the environment. Their problem will be that all eyes on the environment during a period of an economic weakness and absolute essential need for growth, uh, they will have to find answers. That will stretch the rather heterogeneous uh, uh, Green Party probably to the limits. You cannot just follow uh, your uh, idealistic uh, uh, agenda in, during days when you need employment for millions. And uh, so there have to be compromises have to be made and reached and put into practice. There is an, an environmental threat and we are in a dire need of environmental science-based solutions but please not those making 20% unemployed. Well, okay, so just to summarize a number of points here, the prediction you'll have now, and we'll do another one of these podcasts yes. before the actual election, mm -hmm. but right now, barring anything that, uh, that is as crazy as what we saw on television last night happening in Germany, um, probably going to be a conservative plus green coalition government mm -hmm. that carries on generally in the direction that Merkel was taking uh, Germany. And it's still unclear who the new chancellor will be, but whoever it is, it will remain to be seen if that person can be as effective as the previous. Uh, allow me to add in the light of the German history that the once rather triumphant new extreme right party we have in Germany, the AFD, 
due to their strange behavior during the pandemic, because they in part thought that just telling people that COVID is nothing, I think you, it's, it's, it's a form of political dealing with the subject you may vaguely remember uh, um, having heard in the U.S., Yeah, there, uh, there are parallels between the... So, and the, the uh, to me, very positive parties. message is that this party will, will be part of the new parliament, but probably not even exceed 10%. So their once rather promising future as a protest party in an environment where Merkel had no serious opposition anymore within parliament may be over. And... As well, extre the extreme right never has a solution to offer, nor are they capable of compromising or making deals. What they can is they can instigate and manipulate masses, leading to exactly what you saw yesterday in, in, in Washington, D.C. And indeed, this summer, there was something similar yeah, that, indeed, did, yeah. that, that did happen in Germany, for those yeah. of you who might it have missed this. It was less case. violent. It was more... Of an, of an, uh, the outing of a few ma mad people. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, indeed, it, and it was a shock. It was a shock and an immediate reaction was there. Uh, uh, now, uh, this would never be, they would never be able to do this again. Okay, so we'll be looking forward to these elections in September. But let's change gears now and move on to our third subject for today, which is just that Brexit, the Brexit trade deal, yes. was indeed uh, passed in the nick of time. And we are now slowly moving into some sort of new relationship between Britain and the EU. Gunter, what are your comments on the deal? And what will the future look like for the British EU relationship? Well, at first I have to correct myself because I was convinced that there would be no deal. I wasn't going to bring it up that in our yeah, last podcast. That you, I was trying to be nice, Gunter. No. But, uh, thank uh, you for admitting your mistake without me forcing you well, to. Well, uh, <laughs> let me be a bit more selfish. Uh, maybe it, it might have been a mistake, though, but Johnson would have been perfectly happy with having no deal. Right. But the dramatic development of the pandemic in his country, leading to an isolation and Macron's ultra-sophisticated blockade of the frontier, showed the entire empire, if I may say so ironically, that uh, Devon was slowly but surely uh, transformed into a latrine. <laughs> uh, uh, the idea of Blocking, being blocked or blocking yourself off from your neighbors may lead to, to, to terrible consequences. And I, I think that with that, my conjecture is, and that saves my, my reputation as, as a political prophet, uh, uh, is that without the pandemic, Johnson would have had, he would have accepted a, a crash and a, and, and a treatyless uh, exit. Uh, but with, the pandemic raging within his his country, the blockade showing him how vulnerable England uh, or Britain uh, actually uh, is, and uh, he had to come up with something. Um, what they then stitched together has contains many many questions, and we will see. 
during the forthcoming years, or probably this year already, uh, how this will work in reality. The thing that is positive is that uh, the door hasn't been slammed forever. Uh, They won't come back. They have left. Uh, The Irish question is rather vague. The formulation of the Irish question is rather vague in this. But generally speaking, and I was talking with a guy from from, uh, uh, London Derry, the the Ulster, the Ulster uh, um, uh, people will benefit from more concessions than does the rest of the UK. Uh, this, until then, had would have been unacceptable to to giving them a special status, because that could be interpreted as a first step towards a separation. Uh, in, in fact, for the German economy, I'm quite happy about it, uh, especially from uh, living in Hamburg, uh, for Hamburg, because Hamburg has a big port, um, has very, very intense ties with the, with the English British economy. And uh, for our industry, especially again during the period of economic weakness uh, due to the pandemic, any market, even if only partially preserved, is, is 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 jobs and that's what we need we need employment and we need it we need it bitterly uh, because the, uh, the, uh, the the pandemic has has almost crippled even our very strong economy let alone the uh, the economies of, of nations much weaker than Germany so I'm, I'm happy about it details and there are uh, there are a few traps concerned think of the one detail is the fishing rights and the channel. I mean, there are the fish you can take out; they, they you can count them in two hands. As a quantitative uh, event, this is ridiculous. I, I always thought that part of the negotiation was a little strange because the fish, fishing to, industry is such a minimal and the fishing industry in, in British of, and French territorial waters yeah. is ridiculously uh, uh, unimportant. Of course, it's several individual existences. It's symbolic, though, of a certain try type to of politics. try to catch a Dover cell. It's I like mean, the it's like the um, much like uh, Trump's appeal to coal miners. It's more mm-hmm. symbolic than actual. The coal industry in the U.S. has been dying and will die. Of course, um, it's a immeasurably small percentage of GDP, like the the fishing industry is, yes. and yet symbolically in politics it has this great weight. Well, it's it's it, you can instrumentalize it. You have a very clearly defined target group where to to direct your messages and they tend to be quite radical both the french and the brits and the idea then shortly before this came into being uh, the royal navy was mentioned to protect british fishing from french pirates uh, and this will would put us back to to a few centuries uh, in history uh, that should not be the case uh, even with a new relation between the ex-EU partner, uh, UK, and, and and the rest. So overall, that's a, a positive It's de- good for the economy. Deal. And what's good for the economy is good for our own, all our social and business future, and for our welfare states. Still, you think if you had to choose a loser in this deal, would you say the loser was the EU or Britain? Or is there no loser? 
it's hard to tell. I mean, Corona aside, and with Corona, it's clearly Britain. But uh, because the British economy is rather weak now, and, and the debt load is, is incredible. The idea of a, an intimate relation, special relation with the Trump's commandeered America uh, has, is to smithereens. Mm -hmm. And we will see how um, Boris Johnson manages to, to win over Biden for special relationships. Will Biden be interested in this? He's, um, or, or the, it's not Biden as a person, and that's what puts him apart uh, light years from Trump. It's the Biden administration con consisting of renowned experts, and he will listen to them. Trump never listened to anyone. Uh, uh, maybe he, he talks to himself. Uh, but uh, um, so he will listen. And but what I expect the Biden administration to do is to to reinstall collective agreements the world over. And then, of course, you are quite happy to have Europe to talk to instead of talking to Luxembourg and then to Andorra. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I think the Johnson idea of the preferred. Rela relations with with the U.S. and the idea of of, of a sing of a European Singapore um, may not materialize, and he knows it. He's he's a very clever man. Okay, let's move on to our final topic for today, and that is this mysterious or not mysterious EU China investment deal. Mm -hmm. Can you just summarize what's going on here? What is this deal all about? Well, uh, the, the, the China deal uh, on investment uh, has been uh, sought after by especially the German presidency. Germany is a, is a massive investor in China and the other way around. Um, China is a very important business partner for Germany and for the EU, but for Germany mostly so. And Cars and high-tech uh, industry. Indeed. And uh, I mean, look in our uh, look around yourself. I mean, whatever you take in your hand, two thirds of that have been made in China, and even made by German companies in China. And now Chinese products come on top of this because the Chinese no longer are the uh, the cheap labor institution the world over, but they come with quality products at reasonable prices. The thing was. Much had to be regulated. Uh, intellectual property was always a great, a great uh, uh, source of trouble. And the interwoven thing between clearly defined economic interest and political relations. And, and I think we have to learn that when you deal with China, China is no democracy. And it has no semblance to a Swiss or German or Danish parliamentary regime. It's totally different. It's so different that many consider this this treaty uh, wrong because the Chinese have rather tightened their grip on, on, on their country, become more violent and more suppressive against opposition. And what is going on in Hong Kong clearly violates the old treaties Britain once concluded with, with Beijing on the future of Hong Kong. Well, one of these great debates, and it happens all the time, is uh, do, you, do you engage economically with these powerful states that are also uh, 
autocratic dictatorships. And I think what I would say, what we've seen over the last 50 years is the West, Western democracies are quite happy to collaborate economically with any number of dictatorships. And politically, they have little bits of pressure campaigns to to poo-poo um, the imprisonment of protesters or uh, mistreatment of women or whatever whatever it happens to be. It's sort of the great uh, hypocrisy of Western democracies, and and in that I would include the U.S. and the EU. You're right in in many respects, but where are the alternatives? I would well, that's the other thing is it, you could say it's not a hypocrisy because you can't not trade with China, so you might as well have a deal. I would I would make a distinction. The distinction is you bolster or support mediocre dictatorships, whatever Latin America by giving environmental aid or by selling arms to African despots. Uh, that is one thing. Not dealing with China for a country such as Belgium, Denmark or Germany would certainly not alter China's ways. I mean, China cannot be compared to a banana republic dictatorship, uh, Latin American style, which you either support or not, or uh, China is a global actor and power. Uh, it, and it is what she is. Um, so when you try to, and you, 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 can't, you can't change it. I mean, the idea of we have the means to make the Chinese change their ways uh, uh, is uh, a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. uh, what we can do, however, is we can try to, again and again, and I stress this because many treaties have been concluded with China and the Chinese more than sometimes more, sometimes less, deviated from these treaties, uh, mostly without any consequences. And that's my next question is how will the treaty be enforced and can it and will it be enforced? Uh, there is no power on earth able to enforce it because uh, uh, the Chinese are strong enough not to, re not to fear any nation in the world. Uh, the thing is that uh, what one can do, they have an but interest. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean militarily. I mean, you know, say, protecting no, I, int I intellectual I, property or something. I didn't just mean it, the military component. I mean, we, we will rule that out. Mm -hmm. But even the threat of we ban your goods from our market, uh, in the end, is a, is a blunt sword and won't. it might just fire back. So the idea is now we have to again and again drag them to the negotiating table. We know that they need this treaty. After the uh, deterioration of US-Chinese relations, which still under the Trump administration, where it worsened, it worsened on the outside, but it's still there. The, the Chinese are still holding immense amounts of the US public debt. There, there is an outside of this and an inside. The uh, the rough uh, thing was more you uh, the Trump administration chose to to deal with China uh, was just a pretext to to create the, the an image of an, of an adversary not who should not be Russia because Russia was was kept well apart from all criticism we have the same problem with the Russians 
We deal with them, we buy our energy from them, and we know that the Putin regime is far from a rule of law, whatever. Um, but this should not stop us from, again, signing treaties and then speak out loud if these treaties, to our reading, have been violated, because that makes things public. And the only way I see, realistically, is to, by naming and shaming, to make them at least try to, to respect two-thirds of what they signed. Uh, this is already a progress. So uh, just as the overall outcome or consequence of this China-EU in investment and trade treaty, the long or even the short-term, medium-term consequence will be an increase in, in jobs in Europe, an increase in GDP in Europe. Again, is this a win-win for both China and the EU? Who's benefiting from this? Uh, let me be quite critical. I think the French were, were at first and probably till the last moment quite reluctant to, to, to consent, but Merkel won them over. Uh, this is, uh, I think, somebody called the, the icing on the cake of the German presidency. It's above all in, in purely German interest, because to, to us this market is so bottomlessly important, far more important than, than, than to France. Well, to my reading, the, the China agreement uh, will largely benefit, of course, smaller EU economies uh, who are unable to perform well in signing treaties with China and the German economy. The French, at the onset, were quite reluctant. But then Merkel won Macron over and the EU passed it. It was considered, it has been considered... Um, the, the icing on the cake of the, f of the German presidency, again, coming to, to, to a deal, whatever ultimately it will change, is considered a success because it had been a very important aim for the German presidency. Uh, probably Merkel's biggest uh, uh, and, and ultimate EU um, success and now with this rather fruitful co collaboration between Frau von der Leyen and Frau Merkel, who know each other closely and who have known each other for decades, uh, this came into being. Again, Merkel's standing made it possible. A newcomer in German politics might not have won the French over. And uh, I still think that we need economic, political and cultural relations, even with countries whose political and legal system we abhor. Uh, we, that gives us the right to speak out and to criticize, knowing that even our, 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 our uh, critical approach might not automatically change uh, their behavior. But uh, the German economy clearly knows, has, will benefit from this one way or other. Okay, so thanks just a little bit about the China-EU trade deal. We also discussed Brexit and the elections in Germany coming, coming up this year, and also the events in D.C. So just a note to our listeners, you'll see that the Transatlanticist coming up in 2021 is expanding its series. Indeed, we will 
have a series on contemporary American literature, as well as a series on women, feminism, and uh, American literature by and about women. Of course, we will continue our podcasts about all things related to the EU, transatlantic relations, and German politics. So I wish everyone a very happy 2021. I hope it's a lot better than this year. And to Gunter Donner, our expert, thank you. And I look forward to discussing what's happening in the world in another couple weeks or a couple months. So thank you, Dr. Donner. Thanks for having me. The views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, and not the America Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy.